We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. Hebrews 11, 23 to 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover, and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they, not Moses, but the influence of Moses, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. Father, this morning we thank you for the opportunity to take into our hearts and minds the testimony of faith as resided in thy servant Moses. There is much to be said. Help us then as we focus our attention to the text and seek to say what thy spirit is saying in this text for the benefit of thy people in all generations. Help us to hear and to obey and to model ourselves after the kind of choosing and refusing that indeed is a part of the testimony of thy servant Moses. For this we'll thank you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. The only man in the entirety of Scripture mentioned more than Moses is David. And it's not difficult to see the thematic emphasis of the life of Moses in summary as presented in our text. Verse 23, by faith. Verse 24, by faith. Verse 27, through or by faith. Verse 28, through faith. Verse 29, by faith. Faith, 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 faith. Bible buddy F.B. Meyer calls faith that marvelous faculty and capacity of the human heart for God. Moses had a heart for God. And he is distinguished in the scripture as a man to whom and through whom God gave his law to the nation of Israel. But the truth and the testimony of Moses here 
focuses upon his life almost a life of perpetual conflict. And his reportable pattern here of choosing and refusing righteously, according to faith, really becomes the thing of emphasis that uh, we certainly should note as we consider it. Uh, his was an internal war- warfare or fight of faith. Uh, it was uh, uh, certainly featured as a focus in this particular chapter. Uh, Moses, uh, we might say, fought the good fight of faith, uh, both in regards to that which was within him as well as with that which was around him. And when it comes to that fight, the good fight of faith, uh, within and around him, the two words that kind of just jump off the page at you has to do with the righteousness of Moses choosing and refusing. If I were to uh, uh, preach this text to a teenage audience, I would, I would focus upon these two words, choosing and refusing, because your life and my life is often, as to quality, made up based upon what we choose and what we refuse. And Moses' pattern of choosing and refusing is just absolutely stellar in this particular sense. Righteous choosing and refusing is demonstrated by Moses. And uh, we don't want to miss that. But that's not what the section is about. The section is about the war. The section is about the conflict within and the conflict around uh, Moses. Uh, that is constantly the conditions in which every child of God will live on this sinful earth. Many a sermon has been preached on this text by simply noting the sequence of things associated with the choosing and the refusing of Moses. And I want to at least deal with that by way of introduction, just so that you can see it before we make the point of the text as it is found in Scripture. But you have in, uh, in this description, beginning especially uh, with verse 24, you have uh, a clear uh, indication of Moses' righteousness, choosing and refusing, as it relates to, one, worldly speciality, two, worldly satisfaction, three, worldly stuff, and four, worldly uh, squeeze. Moses uh, chose right and refused right concerning worldly speciality, concerning worldly satisfaction, concerning worldly stuff, and concerning the worldly squeeze. And, uh, and again, this, uh, those uh, uh, parts of this report, those dynamic words of description in this chapter are, are quite often the focus of many of a sermon. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's a good sermon. It's especially a good sermon uh, when people are in the position of making uh, a lot of their life decisions now or soon as it relates to the context of direction. Let me just review that. Again, by nature of introduction. Moses refused, verse 24, worldly speciality. Aren't you special? Using Egypt as a type, standing in for the sinful world, the writer presents Moses' decisive action when he was come to years. When he's come to the place in his life where he's starting to make his own decisions. 
He's no longer under a, on the roof of a home where the mother and dad are telling him every little single thing to do, like time to go to bed, time to get up, time to eat. But rather, the individual is coming to years, and as a result of that, they're starting to make their own life decisions. Moses, in that crucial time of young adulthood, refused, denied himself the family name of Pharaoh as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. That is the report of verse 24. Moses refused, chose and refused. He chose rightly, he refused rightly, and in this case, he refused a family name that would afford him phenomenal luxuries and phenomenal opportunities. I started just very recently to write one of those articles that I have no satisfaction will ever be printed, but I'm going to write it anyhow, and maybe I'll find some place to use it, and it's called The Christian Pyramid in which I postulate that Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Hey, good buddy. Hey, Dad. I have this idea that we could build a special pyramid for for God's people, Yahweh's people, and we could do it here in Egypt. And uh, if you'd put up enough money, we could even ask the people of God for a matching gift. If they'd give, you'd match it, Pharaoh. We'd build the greatest of all pyramids. It'd be a pyramid, a pyramid built, Uh, for the glory of of the Jewish God, a pyramid built for Yahweh right here in Egypt. Listen, God didn't want a pyramid in Egypt. He wanted Israel in the land of promise. People today love to give to God what he didn't ask for. God didn't want a pyramid. Moses refused to compromise with his own earthly family by adoption. He refused worldly You could have been special. You could have been a special person. And of course, the world is trying to tell everybody, you're special. And it gets old when people don't even have a heart for God. Moses rejected worldly satisfactions, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The world's sense of satisfaction is all wrapped up in the pleasures of sin. The word choose in this verse means to elect oneself to an office, self-elected office. Moses gave a hard pass to the pleasures and ease of life being the successor to Pharaoh. It intrigues me that no mention is made here of Moses' failure to rightly identify with the people of God when he rose up in the flesh and killed the abusive Egyptian. But his heart desire is reported here. His heart desire was right, as this verse makes emphasis. But Moses did learn along the way that the arm of the flesh will surely fail you. Only the intervention and calling of Yahweh in the burning bush brought to Moses the enablement to fight the good fight of faith. Nonetheless, we can certainly say what the Bible says. By faith, he chose right. By faith he refused, verse 24. By faith he chose right, verse 25. He chose rightly. He refused the worldly sense of satisfaction in order to take the satisfactions that God had promised him in his word. 
Verse 26 also tells us that Moses refused worldly stuff, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches, greater riches than treasures in Egypt, the stuff of Egypt, the gold of Egypt, the tomb of Tatahaman, uh, uh, the worldly stuff. Moses esteemed. It means to lead or to go before. He valued the things of God. And this is an amazing statement. He valued the sacrificial way of Christ before Christ was on the earth. Moses lived in the way of Messiah before Messiah was ever born. He esteemed the reproach of Christ, the way of Christ, the sacrificial way of Christ, superior to the things of Pharaoh and his court. Moses lived with eternal values in view. The word respect, as found in 26, comes from a word that means to look away towards. Moses turned his eyes away from Egypt and fixed them upon God's promise of deliverance. Moses set his mind on things above. Colossians 3. Fourthly, Moses resisted the worldly squeeze. Verse 27, by faith, uh, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The word forsook literally means to leave behind. Moses left Egypt behind in his thinking and behind in his actions, not fearing the visible power and wrath of Pharaoh. Moses endured or was steadfast in keeping his eyes fixed on the power of the invisible God. Moses lived his life based upon the unseen realities of God's word and promise, not upon the seen realities of Egypt. Likewise, you and I are called as believers to bank our lives and to live our lives based upon the unseen realities of God's word. That's called faith. Living by faith means that you don't try to live as you can figure it all out based upon the world's systems all around you but that you live by faith in what God has said and written down for your eyes uh, to consider and exercise, as it were, trust. Moses chose, Moses refused, Moses esteemed, Moses forsook. All of those things uniquely depict this life of choosing and refusing rightly that we certainly could have preached about, and many sermons have been preached in that exact stead. And when we read that and we consider that, uh, you wanted to say, wow, Moses, what a guy. Uh, what a blessed summary this affords us regarding uh, not only his life, but really a good summary as to the life of discipleship. Having turned our eyes from the world, the disciple fixes his eyes upon Jesus Christ and lives in the light of his return. Moses is a stirring, stirring, stirring example of faith. But, that's not the point here. 
That is in the scripture here. But it's not the point being made. The point being made here is, by reference to Moses, the perspective that Moses lived a life of perpetual choosing and refusing. He lived a life of perpetual conflict. Moses' conflict at times was within him. Moses' conflict at times was around him. But conflict was an ongoing part of his life, as it is for the children of God today during the days of their earthly sojourn. Our faith in Christ is informed by paying unique and close attention to the conflict, the ongoing conflict in regards to Moses. And so then we can begin back at verse 23 and taking into consideration uh, the choosing and refusing pattern of Moses' life ongoingly, we can put the whole thing into a package as it relates to living the life of conflict to the honor and glory of Christ. And we start in an interesting place. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, he had nothing to do with it, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. He had nothing to do with that. His parents had all to do with that. Because they saw that he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Amram and Jochebed recognized that their children were a gift from God. And Amram and Jochebed had learned the hard way that life is not easy for any believer. And so they raised their children in preparation for conflict. They knew that God had a plan for the life of their newly born son, Moses. The word proper involves more than just the idea of good morals. These godly Hebrew parents saw in their son something unique in the will of God for the whole nation of people. Now, in one level, what Amram and Jochebed did is not different than any loving parent would do. There's not a parent that doesn't think their kid is special. There's not a parent that doesn't think their their kid is unique and, in that sense of the word, proper. And, uh, and there's a sense in which what Amram and Jacobed did here uh, was that which any loving parent would do. But that is not the basis of the report that we have here at verse 23. The idea of verse 23, uh, 23 uh, under the banner of Moses' life of ongoing conflict is for you and I to see how parents were used of God to prepare their children for what was coming in those children's lives. That the parents played a huge role, and it was a role in faith, to bring to those children the perspective that they would need for life. That is why they sought to protect him, uh, defying 
as it were, the decree of Pharaoh because they would certainly rather and gladly put their own lives at risk than to save their, uh, in order to save their son. Saving Moses involved trusting God. And saving Moses involved the exercise of faith. And uh, what Amram and Jacobet did is phenomenal. I mean, if they were to jump in the car, drive them back to the land of promise, drop them off at grandma and grandpa's house in a safe neighborhood where there were no shootings last week, we would say they were good parents and they delivered uh, Moses from, uh, uh, from any unreasonable risk. But these goofy parents put the kid in a basket in a crocodile-infested Nile River. We're going to protect our kid by sticking him out for crocodile bait. That makes no sense at all in anybody's sense that I know about sense for parents, unless they're parents that are being dictated to by the mind of God and the plan of God for the aspect of the speciality of this kid. Believing that Moses was somebody that God was going to use greatly in the life of their family and in the life of their nation, they sought to protect him in the best way they knew how before God, which was not to ship him off to grandma and grandpa, but was to put them in a basket, easily crunched by a large uh, Nile crocodile. Depending upon God to keep the crying baby from being et, as my grandfather would say it. I know it's not a word, but I like it. From being et. They sought to protect him. They sought to bring to him that honor. And as this story is told to Moses by his own sister, and probably uh, uh, by his own parents uh, as he's raised on his mother's knee in the strange providence of God within Pharaoh's palace. Uh, as Moses is told the aspect of this story, uh, what, do, what, is this story what does this story evoke in the life and mind of a person who hears the story of your parents putting you in a little basket and sticking you out by the narrow uh, Nile River uh, where crocodiles <laughs> eat you in order to protect you from Pharaoh's purposes in the context of the way that he would want to do things and killing the baby. What would it do in the life of a child? I'll tell you what it do. It would put a little fight in the dog. Have you thought much recently about the believer's fight? Are you a good fighter? Is there any real enemy to the Christian? Is there really any opposition to the believer in this sinful world? Or is it all just smokescreen for the Christian crutch? Oh, I tell you, that sin is real and the world's opposition to the truth is real. And if we are going to prepare young people to live godly, then we're going to have to prepare them to live with a godly sense of F-I-G-H-T. Fight! 
There's never been a generation of F-A-I-T-H without an accompaniment of F-I-G-H-T. Christianity in our day is so namby-pamby, so wishy-washy, so yellow-bellied, sap-sucking Christianity. It's so whiny. It's so you hurt me. It's so you offended me. It has so little to do with the honor and the glory of the king. Moses was prepared of his parents, Jochebed and Amram. He was, uh, he was prepared of them uh, to live a life of conflict. Every parent wants your kid to have a better life than they had. As if you can determine that. And because parents have such goofy thoughts, they hand to their kids money to facilitate their kid's sin. An inheritance used for the devil's purposes. It's happening all over the Christian world. You can't do it better than God. You can't plan it better than God. You can't make it better than God. Trust God. Believe God. Believe his word. Prepare thyself to fight. To fight the good fight of faith. Moses' sister demonstrates the courage and the mental savvy as one raised by parents that knew the fight of faith. Faith was a reality in Amram. Faith was a reality in Jacobed before faith was a reality in Moses. And Amram and Jacobed certainly, certainly, certainly illustrate the great and blessed value of having parents that love the Lord and place in their children the expectation that living for Christ has never been easy and it never will be easy. It's a life of conflict. But, oh, is it a, a life of blessing. You and I, too, have been prepared for the conflict associated with the genuine faith of Christ. It may have been your mother. It may have been your father. It may have been a pastor, a teacher, a friend. But you, too, in some way, have been influenced to live the life of faith as those that have gone on before you. My first point is is that there's a preparation. A faithful preparation for the fight of life. Secondly, the decisions under conflict. And this is where that introductory sermon would be preached. Moses' decisions were covered as to what they involved in her introduction. I just want to call attention here uh, that those decisions reviewed were not easy, but were made in the midst of great conflict. Moses contended at times within. He contended at times around him. He knew firsthand the conflict of being identified with the people of God in a sinful and opposing world. He knew marital conflict. He knew conflict within involving feelings of inadequacy and phenomenal personal disappointment. He knew the conflict among and from the people of God as their leader. I'm telling you that Moses, over his entire life, 
120 years, 40, 40, and 40. Three stages to a life, 40, 40, and 40 in Moses' case. And his life was a life of conflict. Yet his decisions in the big picture demonstrated trust in God and his promise. Not perfectly. That whole idea of rising up to kill the Egyptian outside the will of God. But I submit the reason God used Moses to give us the details of creation and the promises made to Abraham and to give to us, as it were, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the reason why God used this man to write down God in words for humanity in the beginning was because Moses knew how faith does fight. The reason that Moses was a man of God to receive the law, the instruction of the tabernacle, directly relates to his warring, the warfare of fight, of faith, fighting the good fight, as it were. Little wonder that Paul says to Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Little wonder that the New Testament describes the believer's life in the term of a boxing or wrestling match. All who live godly suffer some persecution. Our decisions to live Christ are not to be made in a vacuum. Our decisions are forged in and through days of conflict. We sing about those days. Days are filled with sorrow and trouble and fear. Prepared for conflict, it is now the responsibility of adult Christians to make decisions in conflict, make decisions for living in the midst of conflict. Which brings us to number three, the promise of deliverance from conflict. Precise and careful following of God's instruction allowed the people of God not to be touched uh, by the death angel sent by God upon the land of Egypt. Look at verse 28. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, Pharaoh, for he endured as seeing him, capital H-I-M, who is invisible. Moses banked upon the unseen reality of God rather than the things that he could see with his eyes all around him. And as a result of the respect that he had for God's reward, end of verse 26, he forsakes Egypt, and through faith he kept the Passover, 28, and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Moses received the words of God by which the nation was benefited. His choosing and refusing righteously created, as it were, the opportunity for the nation to be delivered. And then, of course, verse 29 talks about them. By faith, they. Interesting uh, shift. 28, by faith, he. Verse 29, by faith, they. uh, Verse 28, by faith, he. Or through faith, he. Uh, Verse 29, by faith, they. He, they, he, they, he, they. 
He, singular, they, plural. Moses, as the leader, influences the entire opportunity of the nation. And as a result of that, God's deliverance is known by them all. By faith, they passed through the sea called red. They didn't even get their sandals wet. The experience of God's deliverance was all of God. And interestingly, as we review the details of that Old Testament record, we learned that the same act that saved them from Egypt's slavery defeated Egypt's army. The same deliverance that saved Israel defeated Egypt's army. By faith, they entered into the land of promise and knew the intervention of God to remove the obstacles preventing them from the life of promise. They, Israel, benefited by the man of faith as their leader, Moses. Now, I'm sure that you can see as readily as I can how that that Old Testament storyline is indeed picked up and applied uh, by New Testament historical facts. By faith, we are passed over as objects of God's wrath. By faith, we are saved by the red flowing sea of blood at the cross of Jesus Christ, the same cross that saves the sinner, defeats the enemy of the soul. The walls preventing us from living according to God's way are knocked down flat by faith. The parallelism is phenomenal. Now, I've alluded on a number of occasions in this short review of the passage uh, to Paul's instructions to Timothy. And I'd like to end this morning there. So turn back just a few pages to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 11 and 12. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12 as our conclusion this morning to our study of faith, Moses, Hebrews eleven twenty three to 29. Paul to Timothy, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, Lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Those verses, in complement to Hebrews eleven twenty three to 29 remind us that part of the good fight or welfare, warfare of faith involves fleeing. The text says, O man of God, flee these things. Flee forms of sin and immorality. Joseph comes to mind. The command to flee involves constant obedience on a daily basis. No godly man or woman will ever lack from things 
from which they ought to flee. The imperative here is to keep on fleeing or to flee habitually. Be leaving, be refusing, be abandoning, be forsaking, habitually. It's part of warfare. These verses also convince us that part of the good fight or warfare of the believer involves active pursuit or following after. And the name things here cannot be improved upon. Following after, pursuing wholeheartedly, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Exactly as we can see it in the life of Old Testament Moses. And then finally, this text in 1 Timothy 6 uh, reminds us that the good fight of faith or warfare also involves, as my buddy Robert Gromacki says it, both the defense and the proclamation of the truth, which is the way of Christ. The word, the Greek word for fight, agonizu, involves the athletic virtues of strategy, plan for your faith, strength, be strong in your faith, and stanima, endure in your faith. The athletic virtues of strategy, strength, and stamina come to play by the Greek word fight, agonizu. Once again, we can say Moses illustrates these elements of our warfare. The old song sings, It's not an easy road. We are traveling to heaven. And it underscores the, un the absolute necessity that we be talking the talk of the Lord Jesus that we be walking the walk of the Lord Jesus, that we be a people that are prepared for conflict, that we understand the importance of decisions in the midst of conflict, knowing that God has promised us a coming day of rest, rest from conflict, when sin shall be no more. And all God's people say, Father, help us then.